It is the uh, first Sunday of November, and it is our new custom on the first Sunday of every month to have someone up here with me to do an interview-style testimony. Actually, this week we're going to have two someones, Jeremy and Katie Toombs. So, Toombs, Toombses, will y'all come on up? Hey, hey! Um, A little bit about Jeremy and Katie as they come up. Some may not know that Jeremy is a FedEx pilot. Uh, You may not know that Katie is an artist. One of her pieces is actually the only piece that's hanging on the wall as you enter the sanctuary. So, and then there's another one down at the end of the gallery where the coffee and stuff is. Um, they've been married for 14 years this month. Happy anniversary this month. Yeah. It's been a long, winding road. They have, uh, they have four children, Olivia, the oldest, and then three boys, Wyatt, Hampton, Beau. And Lord willing, they will have more, but you will have to wait a little bit to hear more about that. Uh, Jeremy has been a member at Grace for 17 years, Katie for 14. You joined right before y'all got married. But enough from me. Jeremy, I want to start with you. Um, It's kind of a broad question, but just how did you become a Christian? Take us through kind of your journey to faith in Christ. Okay. Well, uh, we talked a little bit ahead of time, and I guess a lot of the testimonies we've had are more like Chris's, but I, uh, I I grew up in a, in a church family and, and went to church my whole life, and I guess mine is more of a, uh, and I, I'm looking around, I see some people who have similar stories, but a covenant-type uh, conversion. I, I never uh, didn't go to church. Even uh, my parents went through a phase where they only went on Sundays, and then they decided to get more involved. But even looking back to that, you know, I always considered my home a, a church, a church home. And we uh, just grew up, you know. Sometimes, like I said, but probably before at one point they were more nominal, but they, they knew they wanted me in church. They knew uh, they wanted me presented with the gospel and going to Sunday school. So uh, around fifth grade, I walked down the aisle in a, in a Baptist church. And Who else walked down an aisle? <laughs> ah, that's a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> Multiple times. How many times? Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny. I, I was all nervous, and, and then I see that, and I get to this part, and I'm like laughing because it's, uh, you know, it was kind of an emotional experience. Sure. And uh, I went down. I was so nervous, and the guy was like praying. I didn't. I didn't. I was so nervous. I didn't want to pray out loud. I was in fifth grade, so yeah. I prayed to myself and. Uh, the big takeaway from that is I struggled for the next five plus years with doubt of my salvation, and uh, you know I felt like I had to do I, maybe I didn't do it right or, or something. And uh, again, I, <laughs> I walked down an aisle. Uh, well, I walked down an aisle in between there to rededicate my life. <laughs> that was just rededication. Yeah, rededication. Three aisle walks. Yeah, and then and then my third one, I guess it stuck, and <laughs> I got baptized for the second time. And, uh, and even after that, I had some serious doubt issues. And I finally went and talked to a uh, my youth minister at the time. I was pretty close to, and he he helped me out a lot with that. But uh, we were talking uh, too that a big thing in my life uh, was going to RUF and. Uh, that the RUF in my life really played a big part in 
going in through... Uh, That's a college ministry, Reform University Fellowship. With uh, understanding... I, I think I full, more fully understood the gospel and how that it was a... Well, like what we talked about in Ephesians, it's the, it's the free gift of God, and it's of Him, not of yourself, so that no man may boast. But anyway, I... Uh, Would you say then you, that was the first time you had rest in your salvation? It had it it become more restful before that, but I think that was that was the uh, really shoring up kind of, of uh, all that doubt and uh, fear that I had experienced over the years. Mm-hmm. But uh, and another thing I told Chris ahead of time was that uh, some I've heard some people say I heard one person say it, at this church even that uh, it, talking about a conversion story that you know if you didn't have like a, a moment in time you know well you need to. You, and I and I always thought, well, that's stupid because I know I'm a Christian, and I can't, I cannot go back and say, on November second of this year, on this day, you know, but before that it was all bad, and after that it was all good. I don't, I can't really pinpoint. I just know that right now, and for years, I've had a relationship with Christ, and yes, yeah. that's a very different, but but that's my conversion story. I love it, and. Uh, Maybe you've thought that, well, I can't really point to a day, and maybe you struggle with that. Um, that's okay. A lot of people can't point to a day. I think even, even though I have this kind of black and white change in my life, my story, I more read it now as God was faithful to me my whole life when I wasn't faithful. And that's your story. You know? And so don't, uh, there are really monumental moments or seasons in life where, where God might... even. You know, we can laugh, but those times in your life where you walk down, those were significant moments where God was either convicting you or shaping you. And so, you know, sometimes, I bet there's more, I bet someone in here walked more than three, you know, but uh, all that say, you know, I'm glad that you can find rest in the gospel, but also salvation, though conversion is an instant, oftentimes we don't see when that happens in our own lives or in others' lives. And uh, it often looks like more of a process, like with Jeremy. So, Katie, your story's similar, but a little different. Uh, so tell us a little bit about how you became a Christian. Um, I was nine years old. I went to church my whole life, raised in a Christian home. Um, I just remember sitting in service and the pastor talking about hell. And really, I think I became a Christian more out of fear than anything else. And um, knew I didn't want to go to hell. And... Um, so I walked down the aisle. I, don't, I think I only walked down once, I think. I just can't remember. Maybe it's blocked out of my memory. But um, anyway, I mean, it's, there's really nothing exciting to me. I mean, there's nothing exciting about it. It just, that's all I remember is I was raised in a Christian home. I became a Christian at an early age. And um, do you want me to talk about college? Well, yeah, you get to college. And uh, <laughs> you get to college. And... Uh, and college was really a monumental period for both of y'all, mm-hmm. a lot because of RUF, but kind of describe how that was for you. Um, I, my freshman year, I think I, I was raised in a pretty strict home, so my freshman year I just kind of went nuts and um, went, just went and did everything I wasn't allowed to do when I was um, in high school and really straight. And, um, so I'm, anyway, so I think that... During that time, I always knew, like, in the back of my head, like, I shouldn't be doing this, I shouldn't be doing this, but I wanted to kind of sow my wild oats and get that out of my system, and um, I had a, a big summer between my freshman and sophomore year where um, God just really worked in me, and I could, 
I always go back to that verse, like train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not they will not depart from it. And mm-hmm. I think that by my parents planting those seeds early on, that I was it really stuck with me. And through <laughs> RUF and through all of that, I was able to mm-hmm. kind of come back. Mm-hmm. And y'all met through RUF. Mm-hmm. Were y'all the same age? Are y'all no. the same age? He's really old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. The fluorescent lights really shine. <laughs> it helps. Yeah. Um, I think that's really important. You know, for those that have kids, train up a child in the way they should go and they will not depart from it. It's one of the great promises to us of the Scriptures as we raise them in the Lord and we plant seeds for who knows how many years. That doesn't mean that when they're 18, they won't so oats, you know, and, and I think um, the reality is that all of our kids are sinners. I don't think that, I know that. And, and like most of us, most of them are probably going to fumble through adolescence into adulthood. Um, but the thing that we have to remember and that I think you can see so clearly in their story is God is faithful. And that's really all of our story. Anyone here who's a Christian, you're a Christian because God is faithful. We're not faithful, God is faithful. Um, my daughter's being baptized in a few minutes, and she's being baptized because she is God's, and God is faithful. Um, there will be times when our kids want to sow oats or spread wings in the wrong way and at the wrong time, and we will know better. But it will be time to let them be an individual, um, and we will have to trust God that He will be faithful. And that he will bring them to walk in his ways. So can I add something? Yeah, I like please. To add, like I don't, I definitely don't believe that it's not my parents that say you know they were being obedient, and I think that that's huge to um, to remember. Like it could have, t- I, I sowed my oats in a year, and it, it could have been twenty years. You know, yeah. and I, you know, but um, God was faithful in that. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And you know, even in my rebellion, it was being raised in the church and the seeds that were planted and ultimately God tormented me with, and it sounds like you too, I mean you, you just get convicted of sin and you realize oh, yeah. this is not the mm-hmm. life that I was designed for. And still so, still struggle with lots it, of It feels horrible issues. when you're going through that but it's a much scarier thing if you push right on through it and you quit feeling that way. Absolutely. Become calloused and hardened and you know, the Bible talks about seared consciences. The conscience is a great gift and if you continue to resist the the prodding of God in your conscience when he pricks your conscience ultimately your conscience become can become seared and calloused and hardened and to where then you're just comfortable in your sin which is a terrifying thought um all right Katie you're an artist and a good one uh do you have a favorite piece that you've done and why gosh it's like making me pick like who's your favorite kid yeah <laughs> there's definitely some that you I'm have like, a favorite kid that's crappy <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um, That's me. Yeah, That's right. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I mean, we were talking about that. I don't. I, there it's was okay if you one don't. I did for the Vesta show last year that were this huge, these like hunting, these hounds that like hunting hounds. And mm. This huge painting. I really loved it. It was um, like I get a lot of inspiration from Southern Living and pictures and stuff. And it was a picture from Southern Living last year that had these hounds in it and it. It was in Charlottesville, Virginia, which is where we actually went on our honeymoon, which is, you know, we went to Williamsburg and Charlotte. Anyway, so that part of the country is really special to me, and I just love that painting, and it, mm. I wanted it in my house, but it sold before I had it. <laughs> That's, right. so, anyway. That's yeah. good. Yeah. I think my favorite is the uh, shepherd with the sheep on his mm, back. Yeah. yeah. 
Did you call it the David? That's a good one. I think I called it I Will Find You. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I like that. Yeah. I like the Moses one. I don't know if I've seen it. God parts the Red Sea. Uh, Moses walking through. Very Mm -hmm. cool. All right, Jeremy, you're a FedEx pilot, but uh, you haven't always been a FedEx pilot. How long have you been a FedEx pilot? Two and a half years. Uh, How long have you been a pilot? For, let's see. Yeah, about 13 years. He, right he did it. He bamboozled me. We got married, and he was not a pilot. <laughs> <laughs> and about nine months into You're our stuck. marriage, he said, I'm hey, pilot. I'm really miserable. I think I want to be a pilot. I was doing. And what my biggest is. fear in life is flying. So <laughs> you can tell how that went over. I was doing probably what a lot of people did. They got out of college, and they don't know what they're going to do. So yeah. I was going to sell insurance. <laughs> <laughs> Worked out real well. <laughs> um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about the journey to becoming a FedEx pilot? Well, I have to first say that I could have never done it without her. I mean, because it was uh, it was a lot of uh, brokenness, not just uh, brokenness, but like being je- just like... Broke. Broke. Just no <laughs> yeah, money po, whatsoever. Po uh, yeah, like I, I quit my job and I was working, I had one little job in between there, but I started working at FedEx on the, like loading the airplanes you know, because that's what all of us idiot pilots do. We think we need to be around the airplanes to, it's going to somehow, I don't know, but they had insurance and, and, uh, you know, I had a wife and a family or starting a family. So went to work out there and I just started paying my way to, uh, learn how to fly out at Olive Branch to have a little flight school out there. And so anyway, I did that for about a year and that was expensive. And it, but the main thing was it was taking a long time and I was like, I've got to like speed this up or I'm never going to get a job. So uh, we took out a loan, and I had to quit FedEx. They wouldn't let me hold my job, so I had to quit. And I went to a place called ATP, and I like, took out a loan and like did all my other ratings. Which is like the flight school. Like He had to go, where was it? Like, he had to go away. I went to Atlanta. School. I was in Atlanta for, for most three of three months. Three months. A little bit of Jacksonville, and flew all, all over here and there, learning how to fly. The first time of many that I was at home alone. Yeah, that was the first and longest <laughs> yeah. of the, at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I got, I did that. I came back, and uh, luckily it was leading into the summertime, which is when everybody wants to go fly. So I, I instructed out at the uh, Navy Memphis Flying Club for a summer and on in. And then uh, I think one of the low points was that that winter. I, you know, there's not enough flying. I drove a FedEx ground truck for uh, like five months. That was fun. I was depressed. Yeah. <laughs> that was the worst job I ever had. That was had. bad. Remember, I called you in the Hickory Ridge Mall and told you I was pregnant with a little Yeah, I was delivering, yeah. I was delivering packages at the Hickory Ridge Mall with tumbleweeds blowing through it. I was like, hey, guess what? Yeah. I'm See, I was wearing my, like, my, green, my green striped shirt. And, uh, there was a one year me. where you made a, a, yeah. a really low number. Yeah. Well, after two years of instructing, I got to uh, my first job flying a, a turboprop in the middle of, all through the middle of the night, five nights a week, every week of the year, and I made eleven thousand five hundred dollars taxable income that year. And uh, we had an apartment fire while we were in Huntsville, and uh, we were so broke that the apartment fire actually helped us by not we got insurance buying new things. We just used the yeah. money to like, uh, oh, we don't need that. We'll just. We'll eat, eat this month. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, her mom, her mom and her uh, sister felt so bad for us after the. Oh, by the way, an arsonist set the fire at the uh, mm-hmm. at the uh, apartment in yeah. Huntsville. Yeah. So they felt so bad for us and were scared for our lives that they gave us a hundred dollars a month to help us we get a nicer that. apartment. <laughs> that was like a third of our take home pay. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, you know, I did not uh, ask you guys about this, so, uh, you know, but... <laughs> can't do that. Uh, but you, you now have lead an MIT with Innovation Church Leadership Empowerment Center, and I'm just connecting the dots of, like, you know, one of the things that these young men in the inner city are going to struggle with is they're going to have a lot of years like that starting out. And it's very cool to me that you know what that's like, that you can counsel them through that as one, not just as a FedEx pilot who has all the answers. You know, I'm sure it'd be easy. Well, what do you know, buddy? Well, let me tell you about 10 years of my life where we were just making ends meet, you know, doing whatever we had to do. So that's very cool, very encouraging. Um, how did that affect your marriage? I mean, there were really hard there were really hard times, but I definitely think it it brought us close together. I think sometimes, I think sometimes when we were making like not great money, but like forty forty, and we're just like kind of getting by was was like harder we're rich. We're as far as, as far yeah we thought we were rich, but I think maybe sometimes that was harder like mm-hmm. you know because it wasn't like blowing the doors out and like paying off debt and stuff, but you could. Like, oh, I'm not, like, going backwards. And sometimes that was harder than just being so broke. We didn't know where it was going to come from because we just had to lean on God and each other a lot. Mm. And, uh, you know, when, you're, when you don't know what, how you're going to be able to pay something or, mm-hmm. or do anything, mm-hmm. it's, like know, I it's always say, like, I would never go back. I don't want to go back to that, but I am so grateful for those years because it really shaped us and um, taught us so much that, like, not struggling and not going through that would have never, I mean, I'm so grateful. Mm. Yeah, that's a common theme, and everyone that's spoken up here is that in the trials, that's where God is closest to us, it seems, and shapes us the most and prepares us for what's ahead. Uh, very cool. Jeremy, Tiffany and I often laugh about a comment that you made one day. I think you were quoting a comedian. The question is asked, what is it like having your fourth kid? And you say... It's like you're drowning and someone hands you a baby. <laughs> so true. Yeah. It's not my line. I stole it. Yeah. Yeah. So true. You know, uh, I can only imagine that life is a little chaotic. And uh, <laughs> it's funny. But you must have adjusted to some degree because you guys aren't stopping at four. Uh, you're in the process right now of fostering to adopt, hoping for two children, right? Yep. We're crazy. Are you all crazy? Yeah, yeah that's the first yeah. question. Are you crazy? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so. I think yeah. people think we are, for sure. Yeah. I mean, we, we're, uh, we're not necessarily hoping for two, but we're, uh, we're just open to, we're, we're trying to. Like a sibling group or something like that? Yes, that's, that's why it's probably likely to be two, because they don't. You know, trying trying to actually adopt and not just foster, which you know we've had to come to terms with. You know, we could get a little baby and fall in love with him or her, and then the mother decides she wants to uh, have him back. You know, that's gonna. She actually has a friend that she went. She was in sortie with that. That's happening to her right now. So, and she's which is ultimately best for the child. Like that's what you want. They say reunification is the best thing, but you know, put your heart out there. If you if you don't if you don't get your heart trampled on you're not doing it right is what they yeah. say you know like love them like they're your own but reunification is the best thing for the child mm. so yeah I I do think you're a little crazy but I love it and uh, <laughs> so uh, Katie why don't you start how did all this come about 
Um, I felt called, I've always felt called to adoption. Um, from when I was, or I remember when I told my mom we were going to do this, she was like, well, I'm not surprised. You were always wanting to pick up dogs on the side of the road. And <laughs> always had a heart for things that I guess were left or, you know. Um, so for me, it wasn't, um, it was kind of a no-brainer, something I've always wanted to do. And um, I, we just kept having babies, so, it, you know, I didn't know when it was going to happen, but we knew it was going to happen at some point. And, um, yeah, so for me, it's just always been something that I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, Yours is a little different than that? Yeah, I, I guess I told Chris I was always open to the idea, but, you know, I kind of said, hey, I, I don't know how to say this, but I never really felt called to do this. Like, I just, you know, there's a lot of things people are like, well, I didn't feel called to do that. And I thought, I don't know, I don't know if I ever, like, feel this calling to do certain things. And so, but I told him that I just, I knew that it was right, and she had such a passion for it. And, uh, and, I, and I do, it's not that I don't have a, I have a passion for that too and I just I feel like it's the right thing to do and I feel like the only way that ever anything different humanly is ever going to happen is if we as the church step up and start doing things like this uh, I definitely don't feel like I have the answers or I'm the person to be doing this but I just I, I just I, another thing was I've seen things that where I had an opportunity to do something or do something right in a situation and I just held back or didn't do it and then later on I'm like kicking myself for not you know meeting somebody's need or something when it, when it was clearly present mm-hmm. but you know and I, I, I told you the other day too that you know just a lot of this life together stuff that we've been doing is uh, I know I kind of felt that way previously but you know he- hearing it talked about you know and this the scripture that we had last week that that uh you know that we need to love one another as as we love ourselves and and fulfill the commandments of God, and you know, love, do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And I think doing, I'm not saying that uh, the only way to do that is to adopt a kid. Obviously, that's that's not the case. But it's one it's one mm-hmm. way that that I felt. But anyway, so I didn't necessarily feel called specifically to do it, but mm-hmm. I was definitely. And you said something when we were talking that not feeling called can really be an excuse. Um, maybe, well, I don't know. I haven't ever felt called to that. And I like what you said. Objectively, I see that it's good. Um, I see that even you could say the church is called to such things. Um, so I'm going to come back to that. But adoption is one thing. Fostering is different. You guys have talked a little bit about that. So why foster care? Uh, foster care was the last thing on my list when we decided to do this. I did not want anything to do with it. I was like, I know there's a huge need, but the thought of bringing kids into my home and my kids getting attached to them and me getting attached, I just couldn't bear the thought of then they leave and, you know, everybody's heart tripped out and it's just, I couldn't deal with it. And so, um, and you were the one who were, you wanted to foster from the beginning. You thought that was great and, um, went down a path of we were going to, um, maybe do international and started that paperwork and then something just I was talking to a friend who was doing foster care and um it was just like I couldn't I couldn't it's kind of like what was always in the back of my head like saying this is what you need to do but I kept trying to figure out ways to get around it and finally I was just like I called you I'm like I think we I think we should do foster. And we're like, yes, yes, let's do it right now. <laughs> so that's kind of how it happened. But um, just seeing a was, local need, and mm-hmm. there's eight to, between the, eight and nine thousand kids in the state of Tennessee that are in the foster care system. Wow. And, and you know, that's, 
for me, it was a lot of the, the local thing. I just hear people, especially being a pilot, because I fly with a lot of guys that are like, well, I'm not going to, I hate Memphis, Memphis stinks or whatever. And then a lot of us are kind of down on Memphis ourselves. Yeah. And I've always felt like that, especially as I got older and started to experience things that the city has to offer, that it's a great place to live, but it does have a lot of brokenness in it. And I just, I don't know, I just, I don't, I'm thankful for people who will go save a little girl's life out of China, but at the same time, I feel like there's a lot in here, and I think some people don't uh, see that, possibly, and I just, I don't know, I saw it as a need, and hopefully uh, something that could reach others. I want to read a passage, uh, a few actually, James 127 says this, um, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Um, Now, this isn't the first time in the Bible that we see something like this. In fact, all throughout the Old Testament, we see that God loves the orphan, also known as the fatherless. So I wanted to read a few of those. I'm going to do it quickly. Uh, Deuteronomy 10, 17 and 18. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice. Some, some there says he defends the cause. He, he defends the cause for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner or the immigrant, giving him food and clothing. Psalm 68 4 through 5. Sing to God, sing praises to his name, lift up a song to him who rides through the desert. His name is the Lord. Exult before him, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. Isaiah 1 16 and 17. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. You know, and that's a lot of what I think this is, is that correcting of oppression or rescuing from bondage. Um, It is, we see throughout the Bible that God loves and defends the orphan. In fact, we were all spiritual orphans uh, without a father until he adopted us into his family, spiritually. And we see in James 1.27 that pure and undefiled religion for us is when we imitate God's love for the orphan. Um, I love what Jeremy said about not feeling called can be an excuse. He didn't say it today, but he said it to me. And, and I related to that. Here's, I'm going to read a quote from Francis Chan. Um, it says, We need to learn to err on the side of action because we tend to default to negligence. So many won't do anything unless they hear a voice from heaven telling them precisely what to do. Why not default to action until you hear a voice from heaven telling you to wait? For example, why not assume you should adopt kids unless you hear a voice telling you not to? Wouldn't that seem more biblical since God has told us to care for the widows and orphans in James 1.27? I heard a story about a church in Possum Trot, Texas. 50 families in this church, obviously a small town with a name like Possum Trot. The wife of the pastor got a burden for 
their foster care system. And he didn't necessarily, much like this, she had the burden, he was like, I'm pretty busy, you know. But uh, everything comes around. The pastor and his family fostered and adopted until they just couldn't anymore. They probably went a few past what they could do. But he stands up one day and he tells his church, hey, we need some help. There's a major issue. Uh, We need some help. And to date, that church of 50 families has fostered and or adopted 150 kids. It's amazing. So, Jeremy and Katie, let me just say I love that y'all are doing that. Um, Katie, you were telling me the other day about a sermon Dr. Young preached a few years back. He was talking about the Nazi concentration camps. And at the end he said, Where were the Christians? You know, I don't want to do that. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not scary. (laughs) But the reality is that we live in a day where the number of abortions in our country is nearing ten times as many people that were killed in Nazi concentration camps. And I don't mean to make light of the terrible monstrosity that was Nazi concentration camps. But we could ask the same question today. Where are the Christians? If not us, then who? The reality is that Jesus said, if we want to find our life, we're going to lose it. And if we want to follow Him, we must take up a cross. And I'm not saying this is the only application, but it's a good one. This is not going to be easy for you all. It's going to be cross-bearing work, but it's good work. And I've been very encouraged by the direction that you're heading. I'm not trying to toot your horn, but let me at least publicly affirm that it is good. God loves the orphan. Um, And when we imitate His love for the orphan, the Bible calls that pure and undefiled religion. And it's not only abortion. You know, divorce rates are up, all-time high, and in the process, over and over again, kids are being neglected. Not to mention sex outside of marriage is at an all-time high. Uh, Maybe not worldwide, but I'll bet you could argue that in our country it is, and climbing. Um, But many people, especially men, don't want the responsibility that comes with raising children. They just want the fleeting pleasure that comes with sex. There's a great need. There's a great need right here in our city. And we really don't have the option to turn a blind eye. If we do, generations from now, they will look back at us and say, where were the Christians? This is our work, and everyone needs to participate. Now... I don't mean that everyone needs to foster and or adopt. I'm not going to, uh, I can't say that, and I'm not going to say that. I heard another story about a church in Colorado where not only uh, this church, but many churches embraced this vision to uh, answer the call to the foster care system, and their goal was to empty the foster care system. And... Uh, In these churches, there were people who didn't foster and adopt, but helped in other ways. One guy bought bunk beds for every family that fostered and or adopted, which is awesome. You know, one guy built additions onto homes for cost because he was a builder and he had a good business and he was able to do that. Some families gave above and beyond normal tithe, you know, even to like, there were some stories of uh, families that were putting their kids through college and then the last kid got out of college and they just kept paying that same amount towards the foster care adoption fund, which I thought was great. Um, Now, in Colorado, in the whole state, there aren't any children waiting on families. There are families waiting on children. And that's what the guy said. In Tennessee, there are children waiting on families. Um, I just say, this is our work. 
our life together, churches work. I, I think it will look different and flesh itself out different for most of us. Um, some of us certainly are called to that, but all of us are called to that kind of work in a corporate effort. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, um, it is very refreshing to hear from Jeremy and Katie, Lord, uh, your faithfulness to them, even from a young age. For those that have children in here, we certainly desire to see that, Lord, that our children would know you and love you and follow you from a young age. And Lord, uh, show us when it is time to, um, to transition out of those, I know those teenage years will be hard, and uh, when, when it's time for us to loose the reins, and certainly we always have them entrusted to you, but there will be a time when we have to actually fully hand them over and uh, just show us the right times and seasons and just help us to be faithful in our work of training them up in the Lord. Lord, I, I thank you for your convictions and the way that you're leading the Tombs family in this regard. Um, Lord, I pray that there would not be unnecessary guilt. Guilt doesn't produce uh, much other than guilt. But we, we do pray that you would bring uh, conviction to us and that you would bring our hearts in line with yours. We see in your word that you love the orphan. And we pray that you'd help us to understand as individuals and as a community what that means for us. So at least we say today that we, we love our brother and sister and support them wholeheartedly and desire to help them in any way that we can. Would you show us to that? Um, Lord, we know that there are children out there that need a home and we pray that you would bring the right children to their home. Uh, just to think big picture about what you're doing and bringing people... Uh, from a broken, uh, messy system into a loving Christian home is a powerful uh, witness. So would you, would you guide them and lead them in their efforts? And uh, Lord, we, we want to always remember that uh, salvation is all grace, as Jeremy and Katie have testified to. There's great relief in understanding that, uh, that we could never mess it up. Uh, And Lord, in light of that grace, we do desire to follow after you and your ways. So would you lead us there? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey. uh